The reading for today's sermon comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Hear the word of the Lord. There are things that wake you up in the early morning hours. Sometimes it's an alarm clock that reminds you that you have an early morning breakfast meeting. Other times it could be young and healthy children who bound out of bed themselves to jump upon your unwoken body so that they could tell you that they really want to watch cartoons. Other times it's that deep, nagging worry that will jolt you awake from an otherwise restful slumber. Now for me, the most magical moments that ever stirred my waking morning hours were those two moments in my life that I like to call the Super Bowl of my life. It's what I call induction day. See, Colleen has a blood condition where she has to receive blood thinners during pregnancy. That means the doctor always has to induce labor. We knew the birth dates of our daughters before they came. They were set on the calendar. And so when Ruby's was coming, we were filled with great joy because we had been blessed with Marcella. So now we had that extra knowledge of what having a child in your life is like. We went to bed early knowing that my mom and dad were booking it from Illinois to Atlanta to help out. They got in about 2 o'clock in the morning. The next morning, Colleen and I, we didn't need my alarm clock to wake us up. And we also woke up before Marcella, the sleeping babe in the next room, could stir herself awake and make fussy noises over a monitor. No, we hopped right out of bed because it was baby induction day. Ruby was coming. We were thrilled. I started collecting the bags that were pre-packed to put them in the car, and in all the process of getting ready and brushing our teeth, Colleen's water broke naturally. It seemed that baby Ruby was going to come before the doctor even planned on her coming. And so I went into Marcella's room, and I cradled our little baby, and I took her downstairs to where Gammy and Poppy slept, you know, only having four hours. I opened the door, and I said, here's Marcella. Okay, bud, hand her here. I said, 
we're going to the hospital. Oh, cool, give us a call. They began to get a little more excited and a little more awake themselves. We ran out the door with our bags, and we just hightailed it to Piedmont Hospital. We were so thrilled and excited. The only thing that could put a dampener on our excitement was the rather casual attitude of the doctors and nurses, who were not as excited as we were, and we certainly knew they should have been. Well, it was magical for us. There were two Marys who were excited one morning. They woke up. One of them was from Magdala, but both of them were disciples of Jesus. They had had a harrowing weekend. Their great teacher, a rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth, well, he had been mercilessly murdered on Friday. He had been given a traitor's death. He had been given the death of a slave, and it was supremely undignified. He was stripped bare and naked before the crowds, spat upon, they took nails and drove his limbs into wood with them. They mocked him. They scorned him. And for the better part of an entire day, he struggled to breathe and most likely suffocated to death as he was perched up on a hill in front of onlookers for all to see. This agonizing terror took over most of the day on what is for most everyone else the favorite day of the week, Friday T-G-I-F indeed. And though I'm sure the horror of the events, the visuals, and the sounds probably affected them in a way that they didn't have the time to understand, they knew something important was going on. Because they remember many times when Jesus said these words. He said, I will be killed, but in three days' time I will live again. And they believed him. And they believed him, which was what animated them that morning, which is the thing that stirred them in their slumber. It is the thing that put the spring in their step to get out of bed and to head down on Sunday morning to his tomb. They just simply couldn't wait any longer. They couldn't wait for the sun to come over the hills. They had to go and see. Is it true? Could it be? It was their greatest hope, and their hope not being deferred gave them a percolated sense a sharp, intense focus, the kind that keeps children awake on Christmas Eve. So the two Marys went in haste, just as they could, to Jesus' tomb. They expected, no, they hoped to see him there alive. It became their greatest hope. But just before they got to the tomb's entrance, an earthquake shook the landscape. And then an angel descended into frame. The mise-en-scene was remarkable as this angel, in almost fairy tale-like fashion, flew to move that huge boulder that closed the tomb away from the tomb's entrance, and then, like a fairy tale, flies to sit on top of the rock. Matthew, our gospel writer, has an incredibly difficult time explaining everything that's gone on in this scene. He says that this angel looked like lightning and that his clothes shone like snow. I don't really have any trouble believing St. Matthew as he tries to use words that we all understand to explain something that's almost, well, indescribable because the truth is most times that people encounter the holy, be they the angelic or human, they tend to shine a bit. I know the day I saw it happen most recently. 
Colleen was in labor with Marcella, our first baby, and we were in the hospital. We had a room full of people. There was, there was my family, there was her family, there were friends from church. I know that probably sounds annoying to most of you, but that's kind of how we roll. And the doctor said, listen, you need to kind of help the baby get along here. Why don't you bounce on a bouncing ball or walk up and down the hallway, try to get the baby to come sooner. And so Colleen was walking around with this hospital stuff that you walk, I don't know what that is. Doctors, you know, it's got all these attachments and you walk around with it. That's what she had. And I was sitting there in the corner of a like, room in like a gliding chair and I look across and I looked at my wife's face as she was holding court, smiling, and I said out loud to the room, this is the most beautiful you have looked in your entire life. No, I, I was not sucking up to her. I was not the dutiful husband who respected his wife for the labor pains. No, it wasn't that. It was objective. There was a quality to her skin and her hair and her eyes that took her level of beauty from one level to another, simply stated all of her shone brightly. And if you know Colleen, she has a smile that can light up a room, but the smile in this hour could light up a cavern. So I don't have any trouble believing St. Matthew when he tells us that this angel in this holy moment shone like lightning and snow. So the two Marys noticed something important. There were two guards, living guards, vibrant guards, guards keeping watch over the tomb's entrance. And in the presence of that angel, they fall over as if they were dead. Obviously, the gospel is subtly subverting something here. He is subverting our basic notions about what it means to be truly alive or truly dead. Well, one thing is for certain is that fear, fear abounded everywhere in this tale. We often are afraid when we experience that which is beyond the categories of the mind. Some of us have a sense of fear when we look at the universe or maybe the Grand Canyon. This pales all those other experiences by comparison, for this is resurrection and this is an angel. There is a moment of what some have called holy terror, holy awe and fear. The Marys feel it and they tremble. The guards feel it and fall and collapse. And then the angel looks up to the two and simply says to them, do not be afraid. Have you ever been around someone who had the gall to tell you when you were nervous about something or a little afraid, hey, man, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. I remember when I found out that Colleen was pregnant with Marcella. I took a friend out who was a father, and I was going to unload all my concerns on him. I was looking for jewels of wisdom. And I said, oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, man. I, I, my, my life's going to change. It's going to change. I can't keep my schedule anymore. It's just going to be different. And he laughed at me. He says, yeah, it's all going to change. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I, 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 don't know, I don't know the first thing about taking care of somebody else. Uh, change, 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 changing diapers. I can't do that. I mean, if I, if I could feed myself, you know, and I was going on mumbling all over the place, just feeling nervous and scared. And I said, I'm just, just going to have to figure out a lot of things. I'm going to have to learn a lot of things. And he said, yeah, you're going to have to figure out a lot of things. 
Well, I said, I, what? I'm so terrified that I may never finish my PhD. I, I, I don't know. I, I just, he goes, well, you, you may not. <laughs> he sat there quietly for a moment and said, don't worry, it'll all work out. Yeah, thanks for that, pal. Great advice. I wonder if that's what the Marys felt when the angel said, do not be afraid. That's easy for you to say, but there's a lot going on here. So the angel follows up his command to not be afraid with this little line of thought. He says, A, look, Jesus isn't here. B, he's risen. He's alive again. C, why don't you look for yourself, you know, for proof. And he invites them in, telling them, do not be afraid. There's nothing to fear. And with that very short phrase, do not be afraid, St. Matthew kind of lays open for the audience the fullness of the gospel. Here it is. Jesus Christ has come in the world and done something completely new, brought something so completely fresh to the world by overcoming the grave that you no longer have anything to fear. Jesus has come in the world and done something so radically different with the world that you now no longer have anything to fear. Then the angel said, why don't you go along and tell the other disciples all the good news of Jesus and his resurrection? Like he has to say that. You know, it's commonplace for us mere mortals that when we experience something of the divine or something rather novel, that we just want to tell everybody about it. We hop on the phone and call our friends. I mean, some of you can't have a good meal without putting it on Facebook. We share remarkable things as they happen to us. Last week, a member of our church, Don Weigel, blessed me in a remarkable way. She called me up and said, Jared, I've, I've known for some time that you wanted tickets to the Masters to give to your dad for his birthday, which was a dream for my father. And I have two of them. You can have them for Friday's day of tournament play. I was able to call my dad on the phone and tell him, I've got two tickets to the Masters, and, and he cried like a little girl. <laughs> I can say that because he didn't come for Easter. He came for Palm Sunday. Don't tell Big Poppy I told you that. Well, he called his three brothers down in Florida who are golfings. They live on golf courses. They golf every day. They talk about golf. It's just crazy golf talk all the time. And he said, who wants to go to the Masters? And all three of them said, we do. So we spent last Friday in Augusta. I spent it in one of the Weigel's homes watching it on the television while my dad and his three brothers split the two tickets in four, two shifts, six hours apiece, that night we got back to our house in Atlanta kind of late. But the next morning, the whole family was at our house, and my uncles wouldn't stop talking about Augusta National. The greens are like, the fairways are like greens, and the greens are like super greens. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was just annoying after a while hearing about how awesome Augusta National is. $1.77 for pimento cheese sandwich. Oh my gosh. Have you ever heard of such a thing? The bathroom lines work better than any bathroom line in the world. It was like they had to tell everyone a story. They're calling people, tweeting, Instagramming about it. Because when you encounter something truly exceptional, you have to share it. So I think the angel's kind of silly when he says, why don't you go and tell the disciples? The Marys are going to do that. They're going to go. But what's interesting to me really is how they go. Did you notice it? It tells us in the text that they both went in fear 
and great joy. What a couple of emotions to have all at one time. When was the last time you had both fear and great joy in your heart simultaneously? I know the last time I did. It was when Colleen gave birth to our first child, Marcella. Sorry for all the baby stories, but we're talking about new life today. We were in the hospital, and she was about to give birth, and all I could remember was all the advice people gave me, all the things they said to me, right? You're going to be instantly in love. Your heart's going to grow so big. And I remember Marcella coming out of the womb and Mama hugging her and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, and me going, wow. <laughs> She's little. I hope I don't break her. I was nervous. I was afraid. I was wearing a, uh, one of those surgeon's masks, but I had a sinus infection, and I was worried that I was going to get her sick. A little while later, they began to work on Colleen and took me in the corner and said, you just hold your baby here and you love on your baby. And I remember saying to Marcella in whispers, do I love you? I'm just being confessional to you today. Everyone says I'm going to love you. Do I love you? I don't know. I was just mostly afraid, friends. I remember saying to her, but I commit to loving you, which meant something. About 30 minutes later, all the family came in, and they brought Colleen the thing that she had wanted most for nine months, a Jimmy John sandwich. <laughs> she had her happiness right in front of her, and everyone else had their new happiness. Marcella and Grandma Patty was holding her, talking to her the way you talk to babies, and, and right over her right shoulder was Aunt Kelly talking to Marcella the way you talk to babies which is really embarrassing if you think about it. And I stood on the right-hand side of Kelly, and I began to talk to Marcella the way I talked to her, which was like this. And I began to walk behind Kelly and behind Patty to stand on her left shoulder, and Patty noticed it like that. As soon as I began to speak, Marcella's face went right to where I was and followed me around the room. And Patty says, Oh, my goodness, look at that. She knows her daddy's voice. She loves her daddy. And the fear, I felt, didn't go away. But in that moment, I felt the love, and I felt the joy, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I believe that when you get what you've been hoping for for so long, it can come with a mix of emotions because it's almost all too much to take in, like Mary and Mary who get to see the risen Lord Jesus in a moment. Their heart is moved with fear and joy. Now, I'm happy for them that en route to the disciples, they get to see Jesus themselves. He meets them on the road. They get to touch his hands. They get to hear his voice. Their hope is confirmed in that very hour. And he gives them a command like the angel did. Jesus says to the Marys, don't be afraid. Then he says, go and tell the fellows to meet me over in Galilee. See, that's the easy part, right? Go and tell people. That's, that's the stuff we all get when we read this passage. Of course, we're going to talk about it and spread the news. It's that other thing that I don't get. Don't be afraid. As I stand here before you today and hear myself say those words, I'm haunted by them, for it seems like there's plenty to be afraid of in our world. Last week... 
A group of Coptic Christian brothers and sisters were bombed during worship. Not long ago, racially motivated murder of Christians in Bible study took place in Charleston, South Carolina. We deal with things like severe droughts. We wonder and worry and obsess of whether or not there's enough money in our IRA and 403k and all those accounts that we're supposed to have. We wonder and worry about what the doctor's going to say after those lab results come back in. We're concerned about our child's development in school or maybe why does my daughter not know how to handle her mad feelings? What are we doing? We worry about budget cuts and tightening the belt at times. It seems to me that there's enough fear to go around, that there's enough to be afraid of, and that each day has enough worry of its own. And I hear an angel, and I hear Jesus telling people, don't be afraid. And then I survey Matthew's gospel one more time, and I remember at the beginning, Matthew talks about the beginning and new beginnings. And as you read the whole book, you get to the end where there's this glorious empty tomb and you realize that the empty tomb is the content of the new beginning that Matthew's been talking about. It signals something profound for each and every one of us. It is that the thing that scares each and every one of us the most, the thing that has every one of our numbers in here, death, namely, well, that death fades away within the triumph of new life. And with Jesus, life is simply renewed. Do not be afraid. My, wife's, my mom's sister, Aunt Susie, was passing away of cancer in the hospital. My wife and I got to see her many times, and one of those times we even baptized her in her hospital bed and received her confession. My friend Dan, who's in the congregation with us today, and Colleen played and sang Carol King's Way Over Yonder to her to comfort her. And one time I visited, we decided to share some news with her that only our immediate families had at that time known. That was Colleen was expecting Marcella. So my aunt began to ask questions. She was afraid of dying. So this was a welcome, well, focus on something else, a distraction. She said, when's the due date? And we told her. And then a tear emerged from her eye and fell down her cheek. She said, that's my birthday. She was afraid, but that knowledge somehow worked inside of her to give her some hope because she acknowledged that as her life was fading, another life was coming in. Friends, that is only a foretaste of the Easter story. Because the Easter story says this, with Christ we have new life in full, and we have new life even for ourselves, which is reason enough for each and every one of you and for me to put away fear. Don't be afraid. New life has come. Today is your beginning Go and tell the others, don't be afraid.